Matthew 17. We left off last time we were together with Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And of course, anytime you're having a mountaintop experience, something miraculous, something incredible, that is where we'd like to stay. And there are those even today that try to stay there. Uh, chasing experiences to try to stay in that elevated... I mean, imagine being on the mountaintop with Jesus as He glows, as he, as His glory is revealed, as He unzips His human skin and uh, or actually shines through His human skin, literally, uh, this glory of God. And Peter and James and John just blown away by what they see. But of course... Then they have to come down the mountain and to deal with and to see as they come down. First thing they're, they're going to be hit with is the uh, reality of human suffering, of difficulty and affliction. And I know whenever we go on retreats here, we go men's retreat or pastor's retreat, you know, any of those things, it's just like a mountaintop experience. Ah, oh, you know, if we could just stay here reading the Bible in prayer, not having to worry about, you know, cooking and paying the bills and all those things and mission trips are the same kind of way. You can go and be completely immersed for a week, two weeks in, in just serving the Lord and you don't have to worry about getting the kids to school and the dentist and the, the braces and the orthodontist and all these other things that, that we might have to worry about. The, the dryer breaks and the cat goes to the bathroom on the, on the floor and you guys know my love for cats. But then we come home from the retreat and all those things hit us, and we have to deal with those. And so that's where we are there. They've been up on the mountain all night, and now they're coming down. We pick up in verse 14. It says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Uh, this event is recorded also in, in the Gospel of Mark and uh, Luke as well. All three record the same event. Mark gives the greatest detail. Mark's uh, account of this is uh, much longer than Matthew's and, gives, uh, and fills in some details turns out when they had come down the mountain there was a big hoopla going on there was a big discussion argument multitudes of people uh, arguing with and discussing with the disciples about what had happened regarding this their inability to heal this man's son and so it's created quite a stir jesus disciples have been given power right a few chapters ago he gave them power and authority to heal the sick and cast out demons and then they failed and that's why I love this story. That's why I love this event. Because this man brings his severely afflicted son. Look, let's just talk about this man and his son for a second. He comes to Jesus as Jesus comes to Mount. He's kneeling down. He says, Lord, have mercy on my son for he's an epileptic and he suffers severely. Now, epileptic is a really bad translation. Literally, it'd be moonstruck or lunatic. And they believed, as, as many still believe, that the moon has a tremendous influence over behavior. That, uh, you know, hospital operating, I mean, uh, emergency rooms, not operating rooms. Emergency rooms are more crowded during a full moon. And, and we know the moon has a great influence on life 
on earth. Uh, so they would say uh, he was a lunatic or literally moonstruck. Uh, epileptic is, is epilepsy is a medical issue, not a, a spiritual one in that sense. And but we have been reading uh, a book at our as our, as a family by a man named Ben Carson, and he is a neurosurgeon. And it's been a wonderful book. But he describes parents that have children that have epilepsy or seizure disorders. And just how consuming that is to care for those children and how it to watch their kids struggle and suffer with these constant you know, convulsions and and it, it affects their ability to speak. It affects their ability to mature as a normal child would to walk, to talk, and eventually it can be uh, completely consuming as the seizures get worse. And, and this demon possession mimics some of these symptoms that you'd find uh, in, in epilepsy. And maybe that's why they put that there. Uh, but it's worse. Look, he says he suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And another gospel writer says that he, he's trying to kill him. This demon is trying to kill this man's son. It's been a problem since childhood, we learn, uh, in one of the other gospels. He also, he can't speak. But when he's overtaken by this demonic activity... Uh, it, it throws him to the ground, he screams, and he begins to foam at the mouth, gnash his teeth, it's tremendously painful, he gets rigid, and this demon is trying to throw him in the fire to burn him to death, or throw him in the water to drown him. Can you imagine, to see? you know how it is to see your children suffer severely? That is so hard. And this has no doubt consumed this man's life. From the time it started, which again, just from childhood is all we know. So I'm imagining this guy is tr- tremendously desperate, wouldn't you? To find a cure, to find some kind of help. I'm sure he's been a lot of places before for help. And now he figures, ah, Jesus' disciples, I'll come to them. And then once again, he's let down, he's disappointed. And I know that feeling as a disciple of Jesus Christ, don't you? I know that feeling of expectations, of hopes, and people come to us or come to church and say, well, finally, that issue of mine is going to be fixed, or that thing that's going on is going to be taken care of. I, the disciples of Jesus, they can, they can help me. And then, oh, we failed to do the right thing, or we failed to meet your expectations, or failed to, to, to be able to bring it to pass. And, um, and many people have been disappointed by the disciples of Jesus at one point or another. Now, what we don't know, well, actually, we do see it in this passage. This guy doesn't give up after the disciples of Jesus can't bring it about. He goes to Jesus himself. And that may be something very important for you guys to remember this morning. Look, I'm going to let you down. I'm a human being. I've got my struggles. I've got my own issues. I'm trying to just hash this thing out for myself and my family. Work it all out. So, you know what? I may not say the thing you were hoping. I may not do. I may pray for you and it might get worse. That happens sometimes. More than I'd like. But I'm telling you that you can go right to Jesus yourself. And Jesus doesn't need me to heal you. He doesn't need me to fix you. Now, it's wonderful that God uses us, isn't it? I mean, it's a great blessing to see and to be used, to be given authority, to be given power. But I also appreciate that that even though they failed, what this creates for them is a teachable moment. And we'll talk about that as we go forward. So 
They're given a power. They're given authority. And I like that also about Jesus. He's not afraid. Jesus doesn't say, look, here I am. I'm God in the flesh. You guys just follow along. Don't get too close. Watch closely what I do. And I'll just take care of it all. He, he gives them, he delegates, doesn't he? And sometimes we're afraid to delegate in our family. Because no one else is going to do it like we do. Because no one else is going to get it right like I can get it right. But you know what? Delegate anyway. Let other people be included in what you're doing. Let your kids take part. Give them some small responsibilities. And then disciple them. When they fail, and they will. Tell them what they did wrong. Work with them through it. I love that. Churches get so um, constrained because ministry leaders refuse to give anybody else authority or power to do anything because they're afraid that they won't do it right. I'm going to let them do it and they're going to mess it up. Only I'm only the one that can do it because only I can do it right. And what I love about uh, what I see around here is, is love to give away. I can't do it all. You can't do it all. So we have to share in this thing. And you know what? Guess what? If we're giving away power, we're giving away authority, we have to expect that we are going to, you are going to, I am going to fail. And that's okay. I would rather have you try and fail than to never try at all. Amen? So I pray that you guys are trying, that you're serving, that you're doing, that you're taking responsibility. And not, because so much, we, we, we step back because, well, I don't want to fail. How many of you guys are afraid of failure? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, probably we could all raise our hand. Extremely, on my part, extremely afraid of that. And that can keep us from stepping out and doing anything. So, hey, at least the disciples are trying. They've had success before. So I brought them to your disciples, but they could not cure him. They never could. It's Jesus' power, but that's another story. So Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. We don't get tone of voice in the Bible, do we? I'd like that sometimes. Does Jesus say, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? You Is that how he says it? Or is it, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Is Jesus, is he frustrated? Is he discouraged? Is he disappointed? I mean, what's going on, do you think? I mean, I I can't say for sure, but I can say this for sure. It will not be long before his ministry on earth will be done. He will be crucified, buried, and, and resurrected and ascended to heaven. And I think he is feeling the time pressure here of the cross approaching. And so now he's going, I'm trying to impart and get you guys to understand this life of faith. And, and still, there, there are these limitations in your mind that keep you from grasping it. How long shall I bear with you? So Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. I mean, the relief on the father's part must be incredible the relief that he felt the relief for the son himself it was an only did i mention he was an only child one of the other gospel writers tells us he was an only child so he's cured and a demon is cast out uh you know uh, are there demon possessions today absolutely 
absolutely. I think a lot of this is, is we would we would relegate this, uh, and and folks that maybe struggle in this area have some demonic activity. The the real obvious ones uh, would maybe find their way into mental institutions uh, around the country. So you know, I don't know. I know these things do happen. Have had. Limited experience myself with them, but certainly times where you go, ah, this is not normal. Usually it's when I'm looking in the mirror in the morning. Ah! So now the disciples come to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? I mean, that's a great question, isn't it? When, when you fail, when you find yourself in that place, and, and it just didn't work how you thought it was going to work, or you, you thought this is how it was going to work out, and, and it didn't. Man, ask. Ask the person who's your mentor. Get into prayer. Ask the Lord himself. What happened, God? Where did I miss it? Be teachable. Please be teachable. Ask questions. They're good to ask. What happened? You see, they thought they could. They had done it before. Why couldn't we? Can't? we, we thought we could. You gave us the power. You gave us the authority. I mean, we did all the right things. We did what we did last time. Why didn't it work? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief or your little faith. Uh, But little faith is not really a good descriptive because he goes on to say, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, what kind of faith is as a mustard seed? That's little faith. So even if you have little faith, like a mustard seed is, we learned that back in the parables, that a mustard seed is just the smallest of all seeds, Jesus would say. So look, folks, it's not about having more faith, but it's about the quality of the faith that you have and what that faith is in. So this is an interesting thing. He says, because of your unbelief, he doesn't say because you haven't studied enough or because you didn't say in Jesus' name, you didn't say the, you didn't say, you didn't have the right intonation in your voice, you forgot to lay hands on, uh, you didn't anoint with oil in the right way. It, it's not about any of those things, is it? He doesn't say, it's not a, none of those things. They went through the, the right rituals. They went through the right ceremony, possibly. You know, well, we did it like this last time. Why isn't it working? It says, because of your un- unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. That's a pretty big verse, isn't it? That's huge. Now, some of the commentaries I read, one of them in particular, said, well, they understood the idea of moving mountains and that a rabbi who was particularly good at teaching was known as an uprooter or a pulverizer of mountains. He would take away, if there was something that was hard to understand, in, in the Torah, that he could explain it and he could move the mountain. He could help you to understand a difficulty. But I'm not sure I'm buying that. I mean, I think that may be true. But I think Jesus is using um, exaggeration to make a point, don't you? I mean, that's what I think. I think he's giving an example of something that just trashes our mind. I mean, I would, wouldn't it be great? I mean, we've talked as a, as a county, Palmyra and Fluvanna County, about tourism. Wouldn't it be great to have more tourism in Fluvanna? If we could move Mount Everest here, that would really do a lot for the tourism industry in Fluvanna, wouldn't it? I mean, if we could just say to that mountain, move here. And I mean, that would be, it's beautiful. Like right out my back window. I could just look at the peak and that would be cool, wouldn't it? So I think he's giving this tremendous example 
Because the what we believe affects the way we behave. And let me give you an example. Sitting around our house after the Christmas Eve party was talking to another guy from the fellowship, Eric Gomez. And uh, we were having this wonderful conversation. I don't know how it came up, but he brought up the issue of uh, the fact that tomatoes, tomato paste, tomato project, uh, pro- products are good for hair growth. Now I said, Eric, what are you trying to say? Why teaseth thou me? But we were talking, I said, oh yeah, tomatoes, my brother has done this and it's, you know, it's really increased his hair growth. And I said, you know, you're a nice guy. You are, you're just, you just want to make fun of me. You want me to, you want to see me. You're, you're baiting me. You're trying to get me to just rub tomatoes and tomato paste on my, so you can laugh at me and make me look silly, right? That's what you're, so, you know, I said, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. And I, and I, I just totally dismissed it. Well, then I got to thinking. What if he's right? So I started doing some internet research. And it turns out he's right. What, can you see the difference? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I haven't rubbed tomato juice on my head yet. <laughs> There's some other guys out there going, amen. You know, we'll get a case. <laughs> Next men's retreat. <laughs> but the point is, is I didn't believe it. So I dismissed it. And I think this is what we struggle with in the church. Uh, We have these self-imposed or others-imposed limitations of what can and can't be, what should and shouldn't be. That's why I love children. Because they don't know that. There was a man, and he was in his living room with a friend of his, and his daughter was standing on the back of the couch. Now, if your kids are here, this is just a story. If your kids go home and try this, I, I assume no responsibility. Uh, but standing on the back of the couch, jumping off the back of the couch, flapping arms, going, Daddy, I think I can fly. And his friend stood next to him and said, why don't you tell her she can't? And he said, maybe she can. How do you know? And I thought that was a great story because when I started in ministry, before I even knew I was going to be in ministry, uh, I started a Bible study. And some of you guys know the story, but I think it bears to, to illustrate the fact. When I first began to teach my first Bible study, this is the beautiful thing. I didn't know what I wasn't supposed to be able to do. You see, you guys may not know this, but I'm not supposed to be able to plant a church. I'm not supposed to be able to teach a Bible study because I, I don't have some of the qualifications that might be necessary. Or I don't have some of the training that might be required. And so, and I did a lot of things wrong. Maybe you don't know that either. When I first started teaching my Bible study, I did a lot of things wrong. You see, I was told that people don't like to go to Bible study during the summer. So I didn't know that. So I, because I had planned this Bible study and it would just go year round. Perish the thought. So I said, well, I'm going to have a Bible study. Well, you can try it, but it's not going to work. Why not? Because people, they need a break in the summer. Their minds get full in the summertime where they got to empty out and then they, they come back and for more. I thought, oh, I didn't know that. Well, I'll tell you what, let me just try it and we'll see. Okay. Well, and the other thing I did wrong is I wasn't going to take a break in the Bible study. Like we were just going to go straight through all year. And I was told, well, you can't do that. People can only stand about 10 to 12 weeks at a time of a Bible study. Then you have to give them a break. Evidently, they get full. I don't know. I said, I didn't know that either. So I ignored common wisdom rather than saying, and and hearing people say, that's impossible. 
what you're talking about, that's impossible. For your marriage to be rekindled, oh, that's impossible. Can't happen. For, this, that, for that to happen. For, for a young girl, 18, 19 years old, to start a ministry in Uganda that Warren has been telling me about. Kisses for Katie, or is that what it's called, Warren? The, the book from? Kisses from Katie, about a girl who in high school spends some time in Uganda, develops a heart for the kids there, goes back at age 20, Warren, or 19. She drops out of college again, uh, not responsible for the, the results of this sermon, because she, she goes to semester and says, I can't. I'm called here. And starts a, an incredible, incredible ministry in Uganda. She adopts a number of girls herself, has school and ministry to 400-some children. And some would say, her parents might have said, that's impossible. This guy, my child being healed, that's impossible, doctors might say. And you know what? Sometimes we begin to believe that. You know, look, I don't know why we see things work out the way they do. I don't understand it all. But I know that if we don't believe, we'll never see it. Because our actions will be dictated by whether or not we believe it. So if I really believe that tomato juice can grow hair for me and that's what I want, I'm going to try it. I'll let you know what happens. No, I'm just... I haven't decided yet if I'm really going to try it. We'll see. We'll see. I, at this point, hair is just not... My dad used to say, you don't prune a dead tree. So my dad was bald as well. Uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, I got other things to worry about now, but it'd be fun to try. Anyway, look, we hear these things. And, and here's what Jesus says. Look, if we could open our minds up, because we worship the rational thinking mind now, don't we? we if we can't see it, if we can't understand it, then it must not be true. And I wonder how much we miss out on because we just didn't try, because we just didn't believe. People right here, some of you in this room may not be saved this morning because of unbelief. Because you figure, how can a guy rise from the dead? How can this book really be written by God? How do you know that it's not? How do you know that it's not? How do you know that he didn't? But unbelief keeps you from receiving what God might have for you. So verse 21, he says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Uh, what does he mean when he says this kind? Uh, is he speaking of this kind of faith going out uh, by, you know, by prayer and fasting? Or is he speaking of this kind of demon? I can't say for sure. The wording seems to indicate that this was a certain kind of uh, demonic activity that was maybe a little bit more serious, uh, a little bit more extreme than they had experienced. But here's what's interesting. Did Jesus pray and fast before he cast it out? Right in this passage? No, he just cast it out. So what I find interesting about this is prayer and fasting are both works of faith. If you don't have faith, if you don't believe, if you don't trust God, you don't pray. Other, if, if you don't trust God, prayer is kind of silly. It's just kind of talking to yourself or talking to the wind. And fasting, I mean, why would I want to deny myself food if there is no God, if I don't trust him? They're both works of faith. They both take faith to participate in. 
So if a person prays, if a person fasts, it's because they believe God. Or at least that's why it should be. Now, I was a power lifter for a number of years. And we would spend months training for that one event, that one big lift. It would be foolish of me to think that on that morning of the, of the, the meet, that I could get up, oh, get some coffee, having not trained for the last number of months, and just go into the meet and expect to accomplish lifting this great amount of weight or accomplishing this feat. Be silly, wouldn't it? Because I hadn't prepared. You see, when the time comes, it's too late to prepare. It's too late for them to pray and fast right then. See, what was missing, I think, in in my mind, as I think this through the disciples, they had been given this power, and they began to trust in the, the presence of the power. They just they had power from God. They could cast out demons without a relationship with God. And I think that's where they went wrong. Don't you? I think that was the weak link. That was what was defective about their faith. They had began to trust in the power and not in the Lord. So when it came time, they weren't able. So look, folks, prayer, fasting, I wonder how much... Uh, does not get accomplished because we as a church do not fast. You know, Jesus said to the disciples, not if you fast, but when you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites. Do you fast? Do you sit down one day, lunchtime at work, and say, you know what, today, ah, the, the state of our nation is just bothering me. I watch the news and I'm worried. And, and so, you know, today, rather than being distracted by making lunch, eating lunch, cleaning up from lunch, and all the time that's involved with that today, I'm going to skip lunch, and I'm going to pray. I'm just going to give my focus not onto what my belly is trying to tell me, not, not, not onto these things, not onto satisfying my, my hunger, but I'm just going to pray. I'm going to seek God. What would happen in the church if we fasted and prayed? I find myself being condemning myself for this. Say, so, wow. Well, I'm doing this. I got this activity tonight. Can't fast tonight. I got that activity tomorrow night. Can't fast tomorrow night. And I have all my excuses as to why I can't fast. And sometimes I fast by accident, you know, just skip lunch. But it's not spiritual in nature, you know. I just don't want to take the time to prepare a meal or, or whatever it might be. It's being prepared ahead of time. By a lifestyle of prayer and a lifestyle of fasting. Now, verse 22 says, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Uh, The other gospel writers tell us that they didn't understand. They were confused by what he was saying, uh, betrayed killed, raised the third day. They don't know what that means and they're afraid to ask him. And so that's somewhat of why they are sorrowful. They're, they're confused. They're, they're having a hard time taking this in. So they come to Capernaum, verse 24. And those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And the temple tax was uh, to maintain the upkeep of the temple. They would pay half shekel. If you were over 20 years old, uh, you would pay this this half shekel tax uh, to the temple for its upkeep, its operation. And uh, they say, hey, Jesus, you know, or 
Peter, is your, is your master going to pay this, this tax? And he says, yes. I, I would have said, why don't you go ask him? I don't know. I mean, I suppose he is. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, Peter that is, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. That's the kind of fishing I like to do. That's my kind of fishing, especially at tax season. I want one with hundreds in it. Take that and give it to them for me and you. So... An interesting story. Uh, Only Matthew, of course, is a tax collector, so he's very sensitive. He's the only one that records this story, very important to him. Uh, They're challenging Jesus about paying this temple tax, or at least they're challenging Peter, always trying to catch him, always trying to find reason to find fault with him. And he asked Simon Peter this simple question. When a king uh, takes over some territory... And, and the idea is that a king would, would tax the people that come under his kingdom. So, you know, the kings of Palmyra conquer the kings of Buckingham. And we take Buckingham captive, right? Uh, I know there's some of you that are here from Buckingham. So I live in Palmyra, so that's the way the story goes here. Uh, if I lived in Buckingham, it'd be opposite. But since I'm sitting here, we're conquering Buckingham. And so we conquer them. So what we do then is we begin to tax the people of Buckingham so we can build a new high school. In, in Palmyra. <laughs> but the idea is that you tax those that come under your service so to better your own kingdom. But now the king does not go up to his children and say, all right, kids, get the piggy bank, pay up. Come on, we want to expand our kingdom. We got some military things to do. We got some other things to build. Pay up. The king, does he tax his own children? The answer would be no. He taxes those that are outside of his house and, and maybe even outside of his own region and so jesus says the sons then the sons are free and the answer is right yes the sons are free so who owns the temple whose temple is it it's god's temple and who is jesus he is the son of god so does jesus in his argumentation have to pay the temple tax no but does he pay it anyway Eh, you guys are slick you got it he does now because he says lest we offend them, lest we cause them to stumble. One of the greatest freedoms we have as Christians, because we know that we are, we are free in Christ. Now, we're not free to sin. We know that's true, too, from the Word of God. But here's the thing. A person who's truly free is free to give up his freedoms. That is the greatest freedom you have. As you can say, well, I'm free to, to have this, or I'm free to do that, because I'm, not, uh, I'm, I'm saved by grace, not by the law. Right? We know we don't say by grace. Therefore, I'm free to do this and I'm free to do that. But my question is, are you free also to give it up? Paul, the Apostle Paul would talk about this tremendously in our relationships with each other. In the way we deal with one another, if something that is being done offends someone else. Paul, it was with Paul, it was the eating of meat that had been bought in, a, in an idol's temple. He says, look, if, if eating meat offends my brother, then I've become a vegetarian. That's basically what he says. If, if eating meat offends you because of spiritual reasons, then it's okay with me. I'll become a vegetarian. Paul would say, I'm free from all men, but yet I make myself a slave to everyone. 
You want to see love worked out in a practical way? Because we are so much about what we need and what our rights are and how something affects us. I'm free to give up my right because of love for you. I had you guys mark 1 Corinthians 13. So in our final moments here, you thought I was going to forget again, didn't you? I know. I do that often. If I give you a verse and then we don't look at it, just when you get home, try to figure out what I was going to talk about there. 1 Corinthians 13. Chapter 13, verse 1. And we'll only read the... This is... Many of you know this as the love chapter. And in chapter 12 of this, uh, of this book, the, uh, all the gifts are outlined. One of the gifts is, is the gift of faith. But in chapter 13, look... Well, actually, it starts better back at chapter 12, verse 31. Just look back one verse. He says, Earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. A more excellent way. Well, what is that way? It's the way of love. Look what he says, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, what kind of faith? So that I could remove mountains. Doesn't that sound familiar? So if I have so much faith that I could do what Jesus was talking about, that I could move mountains, wouldn't that be the best? I mean, that seems to be the the culmination, the ultimate of the Christian life. To have that mountain-moving faith. That's what we want. We want mountain-moving faith. But he says, if you have mountain-moving faith, but what does he say next? But have not love, I am what? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Because faith works through love. And so as we finish out, and we can go back to Matthew now. Jesus says, you know, I want to make sure I don't have to pay this, but I'm going to. Because I don't want to offend. I don't want to cause somebody to stumble. And Paul would say, even though we have faith that can move mountains, There are these three things, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And maybe you, you know, Mark tells us that this guy, this father, Jesus, he said to Jesus, if you could, if there's something you can do. And Jesus said, if, if there's something I can do. He said, if you believe, all things are possible. And the guy said something I think that resonates with every Christian heart. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, I want to believe. But there's this nagging part of me that still struggles. And I pray that we grow from faith to greater faith to even greater faith. But as that's happening, the Apostle Paul tells us, pursue love. Pursue love. And so we end out with this wonderful story of a fish that has in its mouth this coin. Uh, I get a sense that that we're kind of... uh, through here, so I'll let you think about that fish on your own. Um, some say it's a tilapia. St. Peter's fish is sometimes called. They are mouth brooders. It means that they raise their young in their mouth, and then the young come and go. I know moms are going, oh, I can't, can't imagine that, you know. Uh, as, the, as the little 
the little baby fish, the fries, are, are growing. They kind of come in and out of the mouth for safety. And then sometimes that fish will pick up a coin or, or, or something, not necessarily a coin. In this case, it's a coin, but something off the bottom to keep the fish from coming back in, the little babies. They've, these fish have been found with bottle caps in their mouths and things like that. And, and the way God has orchestrated this fish, who has no idea why it's picked up this coin, and Peter is told to catch a fish with a hook, which is not done. That's uh, typically by a net. And God crosses their paths at just the right time, at just the right place, and a miracle happens. And I love when God does that. He just orchestrates these events, and he says, Peter, this is not just what was in there was enough for both Peter and Jesus. Just go, go pay it for both of us. We won't, we won't be an offense to them. So sometimes when I read the Word of God, I end up with more questions than answers, don't you? But it's okay. It's okay. We take away what we know. We take away what we know. So I hope that the one thing, the big thing you guys are encouraged with this morning is challenged when you say things like, that's impossible. That's impossible. I pray that God would truly grow our faith, that we would operate in that little faith that we have and to watch and see what God has done. And I pray for what God will do in your lives. Amen? Amen. And if there's anyone here this morning that, that um, has not yet believed for their salvation, after we're done seeing Phil is going to come up and lead us in the final song. And when the service is over and, and you're like that person, I've spoken to some of you, you know, I want to believe. I want to believe. Then, then just come up and, and talk to me after the service and we can pray together that God would help your unbelief. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we've talked about so much this morning, and um, I know everyone is considering all the words that have been said in their minds and in their hearts, Lord, and we, uh, we acknowledge freely that uh, we, too, group ourselves with the disciples, that um, while we want to have an active faith, we find by evidence of prayerlessness and lack of fasting that we uh, may not even have the faith we thought we had. And Lord, just right here this morning in, in each individual heart and in my heart, Lord, I'm praying that 2012 would be the year that Calvary Chapel Fluvanna becomes a church filled with faith. Even to more extent that our faith would go out, not our, our good works or uh, not our good singing or our great music or, the, or whatever else, Lord, big attendance, uh, that what would go out would be our faith. I pray that you would drive us to our knees, Lord, in these last days. I pray that rather than rushing to friends or somebody else uh, for help or answers that we would rush to our knees that we would fast and seek you not just for your power but for who you are that you would be to us everything Lord
Lord, we know that this world is uh, temporary and the things of it and our flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and we do not do the things that we want. Lord, we are praying and crying out to you for spiritual victory. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us, O Lord, and know our thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.